welcome to Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Trance here. Trance are also covering the team at the Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, we got Jeff Merrick coming up in just a few minutes here off the top of the show. But before we get to Jeff, uh, another win. Who would have guessed, Trancer? Another win for the Rick Tockett Canucks down the stretch of this season. 4-3 over the Predators in a shootout. Are you, are you, are you baiting me? <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Are you baiting me there? Who would have guessed the Canucks get hot down the stretch? Who would have guessed? Who saw this coming? Nobody. Elias Pettersson is the best player on the ice so often right now. Yeah, and actually, so I think a couple weeks ago we were kind of saying, you know, probably in 90% of their games he's going to be the best player on the ice. We can. I've looked at the schedule. He's going to be the best player. In every game they play for the remainder of the season. Yeah. Now that Toronto is passed, right? And so there's no Austin Matthews. Like, Oh, and he's having a better season than Austin they're Matthews. They're not playing Colorado. No, but like seriously, Austin Matthews has not been heart candidate. Yeah, he hasn't been Austin Matthews from last year. No, I, he just hasn't played with the same assertive swagger. Uh, you know, the good thing about Matthews is he's rounded out his game so much that he's still like extraordinary. He's still going to it's a down year for Matthews. He's going to have 40 goals and be like one of the best two-way drivers in the league. But but there's also there's Pedersen's been better. There's materially. But there's a difference between season and like best player, right? Better sure. season and best player. Well, so that's that's I, why I, Matthews, I'll take the debate on Matthews and Pedersen, but if I had been 3 this weeks season, ago, yeah. This season Matthews or Pedersen has been the better player. But if three weeks ago I would said, oh, he'll be the best player in that game, like there would have been some fair pushback. It's like, well, Not hold in on. this market. Hold on a second. Maybe for me. <laughs> <laughs> but now, like, what? You're telling me you'd rather have Jack Eichel right now than Elias Pedersen? No, no. And it's a good point, too, because, like, McDavid is the most outstanding player in hockey. No question about it. Matthews deserved to win the heart last year. Yeah. Like, I, I don't see what McDavid is doing this year versus Matthews and think, oh, boy, I got that wrong. I think, yeah, and McDavid's going to win the heart this year. You know, like, that, that that's how it goes. The best player doesn't always have the most valuable season. Pedersen has had a better season than Matthews, which isn't to say he's the better player. So you, so I get what you're saying. Yeah. Right, right now he is, though. Right he, now he's yes, just so right now he is. And I think by both metrics, he's going to be the best player on the ice in every remaining game. Every remaining game they play. That backhand season. try in overtime where he cut into the middle, did that pivot under duress, and then sent that, like, backwards chip shot. That was just about perfectly calibrated. I mean, his 14th tink of the year. Unreal. Who thinks to do that? Like, I don't even know how you have the mental picture yeah. to at any point or or even have that as like a backup option. And the fact that the fact that against UC Soros, okay, top five goaltender in this league, Pedersen beat him on a wrist shot that fewer people saw go in than saw Patrick Kane's Stanley Cup winner. Right? Just like an absolute seeing eye, far corner <laughs> wrist, wrist shot from his downhill side where he like outweights the defender. That backhand try that hits the post, just outrageous. And then that perfect deke in the shootout. I mean, honestly, I'm just watching this. My mind's blown. It's like flames coming out of my head. I'm just like, <laughs> how? How is this team not close to a playoff race? 
with a guy who's cooking like this. And by the way, Quinn Hughes too. I thought Quinn yeah. Hughes, who looked more dynamic last night? Rushing the puck as an individual player. Roman Yossi or Quinn Hughes? Yeah, Quinn not Hughes. Not close, right? No, not not even close. And that's the thing, you know. How are we talking about multiple Canucks players like this? We're moving past the Elias Pettersson is going to be the best player on the ice conversation. And now it's like, well, in how many of those games are they going to have both the two best players I know. on the ice? A lot of them. Well, <laughs> the answer is a lot of them. And then, like, I'm not, I'm not messing around when I talk about Demko talking about allotted time. Once Demko gets into that thoughtful space... That's when you get scared of him. It might be, might be a trio of the best players in almost every game they play the rest of the way. Uh, we will get into more from the game last night. And, uh, of course, get your 10 minutes of positivity suggestions in as well. We're bringing Didn't that back Didn't we just in. do it? <laughs> no. <laughs> that was off the books, Trance. we got to put the official one in later as well. Uh, but right now, joining us, you hear him here every day on the Jeff Merrick Show and, of course, also a part of Hockey Night in Canada and the 32 Thoughts podcast. He is the great Jeff Merrick. Jeff, thanks as always for making some time for us. How are you? Uh, I'm good. The pleasure is mine. Thanks so much for having me. How are you guys doing today? And if I can jump on something really quick, because it seems to be gaining always. some type of momentum here. Uh, do you guys have a thought on the whispers about Atlanta and Houston? So my initial reaction was, and this is purely a Vancouver thing, but if the NHL can go back to Atlanta for a third time, then I see no reason why the (laughs) NBA shouldn't come back and give us the Grizzlies back. That was my gut reaction. I'll be perfectly honest with you, Merrick. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it does sound like, and again, this is like so, so preliminary, but there's, you know, a lot of people that are sort of banging, banging a drum on this one. Um, it, it doesn't sound like, and again, I'm getting way ahead of myself here, but we did talk about it on the show today, and we talked about it on the podcast as well. It doesn't sound as if it's Atlanta proper, but it's outside of uh, outside of Atlanta. Alpharetta mm. is uh, is is the the name of the place that they're they're looking at here. It's close enough to Atlanta that yeah, you can you can call them Atlanta. Houston is the other one that we're wondering about here. Uh, it, it sounds like a lot of this will probably hinge on what happens with the Tempe vote and the Arizona Coyotes. And I think mm. this, I think partially, I think a couple of things, I think partially this is the NHL wanting to, you know, feather a nest here. Should things go really South with the Coyotes? And I think secondly, the last two rounds of expansion have been bonanzas for the NHL and it's a hot commodity. There are more owners and franchises available um, that's become pretty obvious, I think, now in the last five to ten years, and I think the NHL wants to wants to take advantage of this as, as quickly as possible. Well, Jeff, that would be my follow up, and I, I'm asking you this not as like a "what are you hearing" so much as uh, yeah. think of the shape of the thing and and what you know about how this league operates in in answering this. So I always assumed, right? I always assumed yep. that anytime there were like relocation rumors involving Quebec City, right, that that was <laughs> worth disregarding. Because that was the market you knew was going to pay the biggest expansion fee. Like, that was always just sort of my my bias was, hey, yep. eventually they'll get a big expansion fee out of Quebec City. Um, don't Houston, Atlanta make more options as those fail-safes, the, the feather of the nest, as you put it, as opposed to a place like, you know, Quebec? I think that um, it's it's a great question. So for, first of all, they do need to have something if, if things go south in, in, in Tempe. Here. Yeah. Like if this if this doesn't work, they have to be somewhere. I know the it's it's never. I think one of the reasons why the NHL has always fought for Arizona 
is they don't want to do a relocation. I mean, they did the relocation between, uh, of course, with Atlanta and mm-hmm. Winnipeg. Um, but you're right. Like that doesn't get you your $800 million that all the owners can, can split up and enjoy. And the players can, you know, (laughs) will not get a nickel and do two things about it. Nothing and like it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I I think they do need to have a contingency there. Um, I'll tell you, there's a, there's a, there's a few markets I think that we wonder about. Um, Elliot and I talked about Kansas city. And we've heard that name before, most notably when it was looking like the Pittsburgh Penguins were in dire straits and they may need uh, a new location. Like I think there's, like, to be honest with you, I think there's a number of locations that will pay a lot of money right now for a uh, for a professional hockey team. Like a lot of this, let's not forget too, is all under the umbrella of this impending Ottawa Senators sale. Right now, I think this number is going to get goofy. <laughs> yeah. Like, do you get the same feeling that this number is going to get goofy? This it, number it, might get, like, 850, 900 goofy. Yeah, it should. Like, I, I, don't I don't even think that's goofy. I don't even think that's goofy. It's Ottawa. And, but I know, <laughs> I know. And there's and there's a, a lot to figure out in terms of an arena. But, like, you know, you, you link it to Ryan Reynolds, right? Like, in my head, I'm like, yeah. if the Ottawa Senators sell to this particular owner, right? They're not just a franchise anymore. They're a Google Plus series, right? Like they're a mm. they're a they're an entertainment yeah. property. I mean, the potential of these businesses at this point is is virtually limitless. Especially if you have the ingenuity to get someone like Reynolds involved spinning content and providing, you know, a, a level of marketing robustness that we've basically never seen in the sport. Uh we basically haven't seen outside of F1. So yeah. You know, I, I mean, to me, nine hundred. Like to me, if if you're getting one of these franchises for under a billion, like you're, it's probably a wise investment. It might be underpriced. Yeah, you know, the the rental thing is interesting because I, I wonder. Listen, we saw this with the Seattle Kraken, and I wonder if now, <laughs> I wonder because so many of these things just become trends, mm-hmm. and I, I wonder if you know, in whatever next round of expansion for the NHL or franchise sale, I wonder. I just wonder if this becomes more of a thing, right? Like you get like the local sports yep. legend or entertainer, someone mm. that can, and it, like it just makes sense financially. It makes sense from a business point of view. It makes sense from a marketing point of view as well. Like you bring up the Ryan group and Reynolds group, and that's the Braddy group. And they're, I think we basically understand that they're in this for the real estate pl- play. And Ryan Reynolds covers off the, you know, go sends go um, side of things here. But I wonder really, Thomas, if this becomes more of the way that that business just gets done because it just makes sense to have the local sports hero or entertainer or musician. Like I've reported before, like it wasn't that long ago that, you know, Justin Bieber actually kicked tires on the Ottawa Senators. He had a group together. It was ultimately going to go nowhere, but at least there was that type of inquiry from someone like him. Like I just think that the the merit – like. No longer is this just going to be the exclusive domain of your traditional um, sports owner. I think this thing is branching out and growing out, and it's happened in other sports. And I don't think we should. I, I, put it, I think we should get used to it in the NHL, whether it's Atlanta, whether it's Houston, or whether it's you know, a, a city like Kansas City. One last thing on the expansion uh, point, Jeff, before we move on to some Canuck stuff here. But you know, 
I think we probably a lot of us looked at after Seattle. Okay, you're at 32. It's a nice number for four divisions, two conferences. You know, that's where the NFL is at, too. So it's kind of a North American standard. That makes sense. Now, as you mentioned, you know, whether it is Atlanta and Houston, there's also Kansas City. There's also Quebec. There's plenty of owners interested. It feels like mm-hmm. we're going to be going beyond 32 at some point in the in the mere. Yeah. I don't want to say near future necessarily, but the medium term. Are, are you surprised at the the aggression from the NHL and kind of being trailblazers in that regard, right? Like that's going to be a major North American sport uh, that's the, larger than any we've ever seen uh, if they do, you know, in fact, break that number. It's a great point because the one thing, I mean, you guys know this, like the one thing that the NHL has always been, and this is going back to when the league formed in 1917, is very conservative and very safe. Yep. Like the more, the more that I look back at it, man, that was a real gamble going to Vegas. And Vegas, you know, Vegas was such a, and they're going to be, you know, plenty of books I'm sure written about this expansion, mm. was such a, a gamble and a very non-NHL thing to do. When we look back at it, and we look at the history of expansion, and we look at the history of how the NHL has behaved. But you know, I was making this point on the radio show this afternoon. I think what's pushed this along is how how quickly both Vegas and Seattle have become uh, power brokers in the NHL and how much new money is in the NHL ecosystem right now because of those two markets. And I'll go you one better. It's not even just about Vegas and Seattle anymore. Like at the end of at the, at, at the end of the American hockey league season, those two markets, the Coachella Valley team and the Henderson silver yeah. Knights, they're going to be top five, and they might be one and two as far as revenue producers in the American Hockey League. Coachella <laughs> Valley has something like, and think of this, guys. It's a hit, it's an man. American, it's a hit down there. It's a hit. Like it's huge. I'm talking like you know. on El Paseo and like in, in Old Palm Springs. They have like storefronts. There is gear everywhere, everywhere in SoCal. Like I was down there two weeks ago. I was stunned. Stunned. Yeah. There's so, like Colin jerseys at the market. I was blown away. It, so 3,500 season tickets for Unreal. an American Hockey League team. 3,500 season tickets. Like, that is unheard of. It is a smash success at every single level. And I think the NHL <clears throat> looks at that and says, like, look, like, and I, again, like I, I mentioned this point earlier, there are more, you know, there are more interested billionaires out there than the NHL has teams for them right now. Um, so I think the time is hot. I really do. Um, costs are controlled. There's a salary cap, et cetera. We all know what that does to franchise value, and franchise values are now going through the roof. And what if Ottawa gets $900 million? And what is the next, what is the next price tag going to be uh, for, a, for a team that comes in? Like, it, <laughs> it's starting to, really, starting to really sort of boggle the mind here. But I think the NHL is sort of playing off of and looking at Vegas and Seattle and saying, why would we not want two more at this point? Because they're just runaway success stories. It's uh, it's amazing that, you know, a decade removed from certain franchises selling for $250 million, right? Uh, 15 years yeah. removed from big market franchises selling for $250 million, right? Um, we're yeah. still going to have, we're still going to have the ownership side 
<laughs> saying that the economics of the business don't work and teams are losing too much money in the next round of CBA negotiations. It's, uh, it's, it's going to be tougher and tougher to make that argument. Seriously. Like at, a, at, at a certain point, you're just going to have to say, like, what, what's the old Montgomery Burns line? You know, I have, I, have, I have wealth, I have fame, I have riches beyond my wildest dreams, but I'd give it all up for just a little bit more. <laughs> at a certain point, you just, you just got to say, I just want a little bit more. <laughs> uh, okay, Jeff. This, I mean, we could talk this all day with you, but uh, we got we got to get to some Canucks stuff here. Okay. Uh, we wanted to have you on to kind of just take a, a last look at the trade deadline and just your kind of big picture perspective on really, I mean, extends it extends back to the Bo Horvat trade, but everything the Canucks accomplished leading up to Friday's trade deadline. Uh, from a Vancouver point of view, or yeah. From the from the, from the Vancouver point of view, I don't think that they're done. I don't. I mean, I don't think that you guys think that they're done. I don't think anybody thinks that they're done. Um, you know, I, I think that there's still something out there or a conversation around Brock Besser. Um, I think we're we we wonder. You know, listen, Thatcher Demko has, has come back and has been outstanding. I've always, you know, wondered about, you know, uh, Thatcher Demko maybe ending up in a place like. You know, Los Angeles, even around trade deadline, there was, you know, a lot of noise from, from various corners uh, about Demko ending up there. Um, the JT Miller situation was so fascinating mm. and shouldn't be surprising to anybody because, I, like, honestly, I, I was saying this to myself the whole time as it became more and more obvious that there were, you know, a lot of you know conversations and um, situations where the Pittsburgh Penguins are trying to figure out how to make this work. And I said to myself, why should we be surprised about anything? <laughs> as it, when it, as it, like, honestly, like, were you guys surprised about any, 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 like what would surprise you uh, around JT Miller at this point? It's because the story has, t- has been such a roller coaster and has had so many surprise turns like what would surprise you at this point about, about JT Miller? To me, the answer is nothing. So I get what you're saying. Like, there's no news. It's in that zone, the, like the Costanza zone, where nothing would surprise you about it. But, <laughs> but, but I have to, I have to always rein myself in and remind myself, like it should be surprising if a team is engaging other teams actively trying to move a guy they signed for a fifty-six million dollar extension like six, seven months ago. Like that always, yeah. I always have to like pinch myself and just be like that. You're not surprised, but you really should be. <laughs> you, you should be, but you can't because you look at like, like honestly, like the Vancouver Canucks, like I've said this before, the biggest gift to my radio show has been the Vancouver Canucks. <laughs> like every day I get out of bed and I thank the Vancouver Canucks because, you know, for the longest time and even still, like, listen, we like there used to be, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. So the Toronto Maple Leafs, used to have had this marketing campaign called the passion that unites us all. Right. And there were billboards all over Toronto, the passion that unites us all billboards, TV commercials, the whole deal. And at Leafs TV, someone had, you know, doctored up one of the, one of the posters and had put it on the wall in one of the offices and uh, where it should read the passion that unites us all. It said the passion that pays us all. And what the Vancouver Canucks kind of are is like, like it's this endless supply of stories. Like some of them, the Vancouver Canucks are thrilled about many. They're not like, I mean, how, how many times have we said, Oh geez, another rake. Oh geez, another rake. Oh geez, another rake. <laughs> like who, who's put, who's put all these rakes here. But it's kind of, but it's kind of been a gift. And I'm, I'm kind of at the point now 
or I, I were I don't know if I, I maybe I'm just so desensitized to it. I can't be surprised at anything with Vancouver right now. I really can't. And you're and Thomas, you're 100 percent right. I should be, <laughs> and we all should be, but we're not. Because it's just almost come to like, this is just the way that things have gone the last 18 months. And I, we see no reason why it should stop. In talking to people around the league, Jeff, and in particular, the Hronik deal, uh, the way that the Canucks didn't accumulate futures the way most teams in their position did uh, come out of the deadline, having added salary to the point where, you know, they're, they're, sort of company in terms of cap commitments for next season are, are the likes of the Tampa Bay lightning. Um, did, did people understand what the Canucks did in, from a league perspective or is the rest of the league looking at Vancouver and thinking what a bunch of sideshow bobs? Uh, <laughs> to, to be honest, there's a whole lot of, we don't know what they're doing. Yeah. We, we, we don't know which way they're going because, I mean, you know the drill around trade at that deadline time. You're talking to everybody at as many different levels as possible. And one of the questions that you always ask is, you know, what are you hearing out there? You know, what's interesting to you? And it's usually this, 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 and this, and we don't know what's happening with the Vancouver Canucks. Like anytime you would ask another team about the Vancouver Canucks, you know, one of the things is always we're not sure or – we think they're doing this or we think they might be interested in that, but we really can't tell at this point. I like, I wonder if um, even just in Vancouver's mind, you know, this happens and, you know, maybe this is happening with the Calgary Flames right now. And they have a lot of decisions to make, not just mm-hmm. on the ice, but off as well, that this is just one of those at this point, like, let's just get through the season here. Like there's, there's so much tur- turmoil, so much turnover, so much drama, so much everything we just need to get this season over with. Now, it's not as if there aren't any bright spots to all of it. Like, of course. Uh, you know, Elias Pettersson yeah. is just like demonstrating that he is amongst the elite in the NHL period. And if you're JP Barry, bring it on, bring it on. <laughs> Audrey Kuzmenko has been a runaway success story on the ice, off the ice, trading sticks for bananas, like the whole, like my kids showed me that this morning. He's like, have you seen this? I'm like, I know this is, <laughs> This is so good. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's not as if there aren't some good stories along the way here, but I wonder if Vancouver, because I, I honestly, Thomas, like out, out, out there, um, there's this feeling that we're not sure what, what Vancouver is doing right now. Um, I think they just need to, to get through this season and then start to sort the whole thing out. Jamie Thomas, you know, like kind of what I'm getting at here, like let's just get this hockey calendar expiring so we can roll up our sleeves again. Uh, yeah, I suspect there's something to that, Jeff. Thanks for the time. We really appreciate it, and hopefully we can chat again soon. Always a blast, awesome. man. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks for indulging me in the expansion talk. I, just, I was Love just curious it. to get your thoughts on it. Cause oh. like, I feel a little bit like me and Elliot are in this little bit of an echo. But Well, it kind of came out of nowhere, but it's a, it's a fascinating story right away, uh, and uh, I look forward to hearing you guys talk about it more this week. <laughs> it's, it's, honestly, it, 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 it's nowhere close to being like, – it's, it's not at anyone's like it's not on anyone's front burner right now, yeah. but it is it is it is more than just an easily quashed rumor. Let's put it that way. But there's <laughs> anyway, there there is something there. We're just not sure what that thing is at this point. How's that? That's perfect. Love it. Jeff, appreciate it. Talk soon. Awesome. Thanks, guys. That Cheers, is Jeff. Jeff Merrick, of course, host of the Jeff Merrick Show and the Thirty Two Thoughts podcast. You also see him on Hockey Night in Canada as well. Yeah. 
Atlanta? Really? And it's like, well, it's just outside Atlanta. It's like, it's still Atlanta. That, no, that worries me more. It's still Atlanta. I don't really get At least we all know the counties now. <laughs> yes, we're all getting very familiar with the surrounding areas uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. Houston, I get, makes a ton of sense. Atlanta, eh, I don't know. As I said to Jeff, the biggest thing for me is that, oh, we're just going to 34, huh? We're blowing right past 32, and like they're laying the groundwork for 34 teams. Why wouldn't they? All right, sure. If they're, it's a huge revenue bump. I get it. Uh, you know what? All of it, all of which puts a lot of uh, pressure, I think, on teams to quickly understand sort of how fungible assets need to be treated as, right? Like how you can't get tied down in your team. You can't put yourself in a position where you can't change quickly. Like the more teams you have in the league the more value there is to having better depth and having like stronger links at every part of the chain, as opposed to the star players, right? Like it's really going to fundamentally alter when you add four teams into this league. Oh man. The way you have to go about competing. Uh, We'll we'll talk more about the Canucks win against the Predators uh, and look ahead to some things coming up with the team as well. More Canucks talk coming up. It is Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance, live from the Kintech studio. 650. 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And uh, as we continue to uh, look back at the Canucks win, 4 3. In the shootout against the Nashville Predators last night, I do think there's some interesting things to uh, to dive into. You know, beyond the team continuing to win down the stretch when the playoffs are long, long gone as a goal and it hurts in a lottery odds. We don't need to belabor that point. We all kind of know where it's going. The point about them losing or winning down the stretch: lose early in the year, win late in the year. Great formula. Great formula. Great formula. Anyways, um, sorry. Why don't we have to belabor that? Because <laughs> we've done it at length. We've done it at length. And we all know it's going to happen. We've known for a long time. We've, like I'm, I'm well past the eye rolling at them picking up points stage. It's oh. just like, oh yeah, that's happening. No, no, no. See, we gotta. I gotta be a stick in the mud on things like this. I'm sorry. Like we can't lose sight of the fact that Quinn Hughes played 30 minutes again last night. JT Miller and Elias Pettersson played 20 plus minutes again last night. Right. With the option of calling up Spencer Martin, who's clearly a shell. In terms of his confidence level, the club threw thrust Arthur Silovs, who's looking like he's cooking, into the net. You know, like, I'm not saying you have to lose. I'm not saying you tell players to lose. But you don't have to play the wheels off your best players game in, game out. Like, it's the, like you're in a playoff hunt. You don't have to do that. You could evaluate a team and evaluate players and evaluate a coach's performance based on things like player development. Mm-hmm. Like Atu Ratu could be in the lineup playing 12 minutes a night. Niels Hoaglander could be in the minutes playing uh, a lineup playing 12 minutes a night. And if that gets Pedersen to 15, do you get five less spectacular moments that both stuff his stat sheet ahead of what might be a summer of negotiation with creative artist agency? Does it help you juke your odds so that you don't end this season with 
lower odds of making the playoffs next year than Connor Bedard does of ha- uh, coming to the Pacific Division and not to you? Like, come on! We can't, we can't gloss over that and be like, I'm not willing to do that anymore because the team is so silly about how they're going about their business. They don't care about long-term strategy, so we can't either. It's just baked in. It's baked in at this point. Like, unless there's a change. Like a king cake? <laughs> like there's a creepy baby in the cake? Do you not know what a king cake is? I have no is? idea what that means. Oh, look it up. I have no idea what look that it up. means. A creepy baby in the cake. <laughs> you actually don't know what a king cake is? I do not is. know what a king cake is, no. All right, well, look it up. It's a real My thing. My goodness. Anyways, it is. It's there's a terrifying in. baby. It's baked in. Like the terrifying baby in the king cake. And whoever gets it gets the money. <laughs> okay. Do you actually not know what I'm talking about? No, I this have no idea what you're talking about. Is this another one of those? This is hard pants. <laughs> no, this is king cake. Okay? Truly no idea what you're talking about. Louisiana tradition. People know. Okay. People well, know. yes, of course. It's Why like, wouldn't I be aware of all the Louisiana well, culinary you know traditions? Tur- do you know what a turducken is? Yes, I know what a turducken is. Do you is. know what a remoulade is? Though. Yeah, but a remoulade is not just like a niche geographical thing. Come on. Come on. It's a king cake, Weak man. take. No, I, we can't, people know what that is. Anyway, we can't ignore, I think. Like I, I Can you put on the Canucks game? I, I will not. I will You're not, not down for the Remoulade talk, Dom? <laughs> the producer. Producer Dom keeping us on task. Uh, producer Dom picks, by the way, for the Champions League, in case you were wondering cause, and wanted to tail. We've got Benfica minus one and a half, and we've got Chelsea to win, but Dortmund to qualify. In, ch- in Champions League action. The ultimate right degenerate now. Champions League. That guys. is truly. I love it. That is I truly absolutely next love it. Producer Dom's picks if you want to tell them. All right. And, uh, of course, at play now only. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think we can lose sight or focus of the fact that this is illogical. Well, it's bad. It's don't illogical. Get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I okay. agree with that. Okay. I'm just saying. I also know it's illogical. Like, I, I, I'm i expecting it every time now. You I know. know what I mean? I know, but we can't become desensitized. Like, we can't live in we can't live in this world of false dichotomies. Speak like, for yourself. There's a lot I can become desensitized to. <laughs> You'd be surprised. <laughs> like, like, Just try me. Like, biting into a slice of cake and finding yes. a creepy baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Will you please look it up? Deeply unpleasant. I will. I'm, I'm, we're on the air right now. Um, okay. We're living in this world of false dichotomies right now, though, right? All right. So you can't rebuild, people say. Pedersen, Hughes, Demko, JT Miller, they don't want it. And then, and then the fans who want to cast themselves as being on the side of the team that knows best also are like, and I'm on the side of my favorite players. And, of course, that's why the Quinn Hughes commentary from last week, which we listened to. Like, it wasn't mm-hmm. like a full-throated endorsement of, like, this team's direction. It really wasn't. It was like, I don't want to keep losing. We've had so much churn in here, so many guys come and go. I've had 80 teammates. It was frustration. These guys are frustrated. It's a third straight season in which they're going to never play a meaningful hockey game after the month of October. Like, that's brutal, especially considering the level some of these guys are at, especially the level that Quinn Hughes has got to, right? Like, you don't get to the NHL if you don't want to play in the biggest stage and the biggest games and be the guy. Rick Tockett talking about the Canucks looking back at him, right? The Canucks star players looking back at him on the bench. Mm-hmm. And they're doing that for game 67, game 63. Who Like, these guys want to play in the playoffs. In a lost season, yeah. 
And so that brings so there's this false dichotomy that's like players want to re players don't want to rebuild. And it's like for players, rebuild just means we intentionally lose, which I think that's also for some fans what it is. But just like re- rebuilding doesn't guarantee that you're going to win the cup in the next 10 years, retooling doesn't guarantee that you win next season. It doesn't guarantee that you win the next season after. Right? Like the the only guarantee is that you're lowering your ceiling. Here's the, and and then we get to the other false dichotomy going on right now, which is the idea that if you retool, you keep X star players because they will be happy because you will win. Right? It's like all the logical leaps that you have to make to get there, right? But if you rebuild, it will uh you will lose intentionally and they will be upset and they will leave. And it's like retooling does not guarantee that you win. It does not guarantee that you make these players happy. Rebuilding does not guarantee that these players get upset and leave. Like you have to communicate a vision and sell people on it. You can extend Dylan Larkin and trade Philip Hronik. You don't have to pay the assets to acquire. Like there's many ways to win in this league. There, but fundamentally, you have to do smart things. You have to go about things in a logical way. You have to have some common sense. And, and, you know, and that brings us to the other one. The one that I've gotten the most over the course of the weekend is like, um, what have you? What team have you built? Where, where are your Stanley Cup rings? As if talking about a team with like common sense and like a few years of executive experience in PR and 10 years reporting on the league. Like, I, I, look, I don't think that I have the acumen to, to run a team a la Jim Rutherford, three-time Stanley Cup winner, future, uh, sorry, current Hall of Hockey Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not the point. The point is, is that, like, if the world's best chef served you raw chicken, would you eat it? (laughs) Like, on some level, you have to have some common sense, even and above deferring to expertise. Like, you don't want to be the league's most capped out team when you're 27th by point percentage. You don't want to spend first and second round picks in a lost season when you're 27th by point percentage. Like, this isn't complicated this isn't highfalutin outrageous armchair gm stuff this is common sense and we can't lose sight of that i'm I'm, i refuse to i refuse to i won't i won't do it so okay but you're talking about the we're moving on from the them picking up points thing now and talking about them like the player the player perspective all part no but it's all part of the same package because i think for me the the takeaway from like the hughes quote but also your quote that you got uh, from Pedersen that you mentioned i think briefly on the show yesterday and up at the athletic right now like you shouldn't go too deep into parsing what your star players say about that because ultimately they They all want to win and yeah would they ideally love to win next year yes of course they would they would love to win every season they want to be competitive that's the goal it's more than anything my point is is you don't don't use a quote like that that i got from Pedersen or like the one that hughes gave as a cudgel to say like this player agrees with me on my hockey point like the player's focus is being at their best and winning games that's it. That's what they want. They want to win games. Yeah, and to me, the real question is, would a rebuild, and again, we get into the semantic conversation, how long would it take and all that, What would it, because Quinn Hughes is under contract, okay? But would a rebuild significantly damage your chances of signing Elias Pettersson to a long-term extension? Like, that's the key question for me, because I agree that it is paramount to keep Elias Pettersson in this organization. 
I don't think it's un like I get completely understand the perspective that you're concerned that you're concerned that making some of those moves and the effect it will have on Elias Patterson, but I don't think it means and therefore he is out the door. No, but, you know what I mean? But also, that, that's that's where I differ with a lot of this. Well, I don't think it's a it's a guarantee that if you, for example, make two picks in the first round this year, that Elias Patterson's going to look at this and say, "Well, this is too long term for me. I'm out." I also just have no time for the squirrel like the the usage the inconsistency of using that argument like that argument is used to justify moves that the team has made but is never talked about when the team make move makes moves that might be things a player like Pedersen isn't enamored with right like Pedersen had a really good relationship with Bruce Boudreaux that didn't stop the organization from firing him and doing so in a, a certain way mm-hmm. Clearly, Pedersen and Bo Horvat had a pretty close relationship. At least there was, like, trust and fondness there. You could see it during the All-Star game. Didn't didn't stop the organization from handling that situation a certain way, right? Like, you're, you can't just sort of apply it the way that it's being applied here. Like, it's just hockey hardo stuff. It's wave the team banner stuff as opposed to critical thought. And, hey, that's fine. You want to be a fan? Be a fan however you want. But don't pretend it's a serious argument. That's the that's the key thing. Don't 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 bring it as if it's a serious argument because it's not. It's just um it's just idle. Anyway, you know I I was thinking about this today. I was thinking about takes a lot. Oh yeah, you? I was thinking about takes a lot. And I was thinking you know what the difference between a good take and a bad take is? Tell me. It's revealed in time. The best take and the worst take are indecipherable when they're first uttered. <laughs> yeah. You see what I'm saying? I do, but I don't know. Like, there's there's no... There's, the, the, the trick is to tell them apart right away, but that's actually when it's hardest. But the, we, we don't need to get into like a, a, a debate about the nature of takes. I was thinking about this a lot. Because one of the worst takes I've ever heard All right, was from uh, a gentleman, I won't say his name, I won't, I, but he wrote a take in the uh, after the Canucks got beat by the LA Kings, and it was like the the Canucks messed up when they didn't trade Corey Schneider for Rick Nash. And I remember reading that and being like, "LOL, that's the worst take I've ever read." And like five six years later, I thought about it and I was like, "You know what? That guy was right. Maybe not for them to get Rick Nash, but realistically, to pry that window open further, they should have traded Corey Schneider. He would have netted Jeff Carter. He would have netted Rick Nash. He would have netted." A piece like that. Like, they shouldn't have been going after a young player for Cody Hodgson. They should have been seeing what could you get Vermette, Antoine mm. Vermette and Jeff Carter for Hodgson and Schneider. And does that does that help you in 2012-2013? Does that give you the best chance of winning a cup? I couldn't tell in the moment. It wasn't actually a bad take. It was just indecipherable from a good one. All right, there you go. Drance's take philosophy. <laughs> D- no? <laughs> yeah, sure. Like, it, it aged well. It aged well, sure. But I I don't know. Anyways, we can get back into this uh, later. But you know what it's time for, Dancer? Oh, positive. You know what it's time for? It might be be overtime. We debuted it yesterday on the show. It was a massive hit. Massive? Yeah, I think so. At least in my mind. You know what the difference between a massive hit and... (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, It's time for 
10 minutes of positivity. 10 minutes of straight positivity. Yeah, there we go. Oh, With the sound like effect that. and everything now. You Let's love go. to hear it. You love to hear it. 10 minutes of straight positivity uh, do, should on we, should we do Canucks it in talk. Relaxed tones. Uh, should no, we like I like really getting fired up when I'm positive too. Yeah. Sometimes you're mellow, but sometimes it's more about uh, it being exciting. I want you to talk like Fraser no. Crane. No, yeah. <laughs> sorry, Dom. It's not happening. <laughs> it's not happening, bud. I'm into it. I'm listening. Um, <laughs> you want to go first, or you want uh, you want me to go first? I'll go first. All right. Vasily Podkolzin. Okay, that that goal he scored. The 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 fact that the puck tipped off his stick right before going in the net was actually the least impressive part of it. Right. What was awesome about it was the play he makes behind the net to shield the puck using that big frame of his and get it back over to Quinn Hughes and then sprint, sprint skate out of his zone. He gets the puck in stride, perfect pass from Quinn, perfectly taken, really nice dynamic move through the neutral zone, and then he's in position to tip the puck. But it's the work in transition and the confidence with which he played. Make no mistake, as good as Kratsov has been, it's Vasily Podkolzin driving that line right now, and man, they were Vancouver's best. He looks on the verge of breaking out. Yeah, I love to see it. it. It's he was he did he's been doing a lot of the things he did on that goal, right, and not getting rewarded. Totally. And then he got rewarded, which is just great to see, right? It doesn't mean. If it doesn't end up in the production, ultimately, it doesn't mean you're not doing good things. But for a young player who got sent down to the AHL, you also want to make sure there's that bottom line production. So I think just for him, it's probably really, really huge. That like, okay, the puck is going in the back of the net when I do these good things over and over and over when again. When he had that toe drag goal, and it feels like since then he's started to play with some confidence, and hopefully it gets running downhill. Again, I think he's a bit of a thinker. Right? And I think that's a really good thing. I think that's why he's going to level up and be a really good top uh, sorry, a really good two-way piece yeah. going down the line, but I do think it's inhibited him in that in that mistakes have maybe kept him down. Like he's been a little bit more subject to the highs and lows of the NHL season. Hopefully, if he can get running downhill to end this year, he can come in next season and be the sort of unique top nine piece that I think he should be ready to be and and looked like has looked like. For much of the time since he returned well, to this, lineup. Well, but but also remember to end last season, right? It looked like he was taking that, taking those strides and kind of making that jump, and then it just did not materialize for him, and the confidence really dipped early in this year. So you hope he can get back on that path, on that trajectory. Uh, and by the way, this one, this one came in earlier. Uh, hashtag ten minutes of positivity. At times last night, Pods' skating strides looked absolutely explosive. Not sure who's been working with him. But his skating since return from Abbey is noticeably better, hoping Atu gets the same boost. And that is from the Kieran, the creator of 10 Minutes of Positivity. There we go. Uh, checking in, which is uh, which is fantastic. Um, so you can get yours in, by, uh, by the way, as well. 650-650. So we mentioned him just briefly, but the guy that I want to focus on uh, is Archer Seelovs. And... As you said, they call him up, right, rather than Spencer Martin, whose confidence is just absolutely shot, shot and the moment, therefore yeah. they help themselves win that game against Nashville. Uh, but I've been thinking about Seelovs in the context of Tockett kind of repeatedly referring to the remainder of the season as an extended training camp, because I think what you've ended up getting here with Archer Seelovs is a really fantastic low-stakes opportunity for him to get NHL reps and for the team to evaluate it, because as much as... Yeah, they're playing their star players too much, and they're probably treating the games more important than they should be. This is still ultimately 
as low stakes an NHL situation as you can get, right? We all know what the score is. We all know what the standings say. We all know the playoffs are not in reach. So they've taken a chance to get a good long look at Archer Seelovs. And I think you've got to be really, really impressed with what he's shown so far. I thought even the fact last night that it was like a not scheduled start and it was kind of like, okay, hey, we got a hole to fill. You got to come up and do it. That's a little bit of a different situation to throw a young goalie in. And he handled it really well. I loved the save he made on Matt Duchesne, oh. the, the high-low diagonal play. Amazing. Which was like great athleticism. I thought a really good read, too. I was just like, that's a really impressive play for a young goalie. So I do think Duchesne flubbed the shot. Sure, it not, wasn't a not perfect. Not to interfere yeah, with yeah, yeah, yeah. but, but. But that's the case for a lot of great so, saves. Sorry. Where the shooter wishes they totally. do better. Yeah. Sorry, but I actually wanted to set it up with a, with a positive anecdote, which is morning skate. Prior to us knowing that Seelovs was going to start that game, um, I actually wasn't even sure who it was. Like, I hadn't even, I just sat down and I hadn't even, like, done the mental work to be like, okay, that's not Colin Delia. That mask is different, right? Mm -hmm. Like, register it. I looked down that way and it's Pedersen, and I'm pretty sure it was Pod Colson, but maybe it was a different lefty on the, on the right side, two on one drill. And Pedersen feathers. Like a hesitation deke pass. Now you 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 all see how wired in Pedersen is. Oh, so yeah. you know that he gave his teammate the whole net to shoot at. And Pod Colson made absolutely no mistake. I'm pretty sure it was Pod Colson. Made absolutely no mistake on the finish. It was like high. It was uh, lifted, high velocity, got all of it. You could hear it. And and uh, Silovs spreads and makes that save. Right away, like right away when I sat down and I was like, whew. And, and you know, it's one of those that gets everyone on the ice hollering. Yeah. Guys are like, oh, tapping sticks. And uh, and that's when I realized it wasn't Colin Delia. He made that save in the morning skate, and I was blown away. And when he did it off Duchesne, I was like, man, like, legit, he's got this level of, like, Felix the cat-like reflexes yeah. in his bag. Like, that's just something he can do incredible spastic athleticism and i'm not i'm not ready to start banging the like he should be in the nhl next year he should be demko's backup i i i don't know enough about goalies i'll leave that to the goalie people to decide but just again the fact that he's getting this experience and showing this well like it 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 is inherently a positive a very positive thing regardless of where he ends up playing next year so i don't know goalies very well either one quick take on this though players can play and make a difference at the nhl at 21 are we sure goalies can't, or do we just not let them? That's been the that's been the like conventional wisdom, but the conventional wisdom for a long time was our oh, defensemen take way longer to develop, and then yeah. Kale McCarr comes in and immediately no, becomes no, I, that was the always, top guy in his league in the league, right? That, so data always said that that was wrong. I mean, I think that's probably games, going to was it how many games? Four hundred? No, 400. I feel like it was a million games. It was like it was like you don't really know what a defenseman is until they've they're retired. Um, but I think you're going to start seeing teams push that. Right, like, well, the, uh, honestly, the Flames should have already had Dustin Wolf up, and I, I mean, I don't know. Now, here's the issue: it's one thing if you're bringing a guy up to be a one B, yes, but Seelovs has missed too much time due to the pandemic and other developmental factors. Some of them beyond the team's control, some of them not. Um, to be a backup goalie who plays once every two weeks, right? Like, you absolutely need to get him games. So, I do sort of wonder in a world where they go affordable with a backup. Is Abbotsford's proximity an advantage where, you know, you basically are able to sort of spot start him 
and he'd be like the AHL he's like starter. the third goalie, basically. He, but, that, but he's but almost in like, your NHL plans. We're, we're used to thinking about a one B. Mm. What if he was a two B? Yeah. So he was like a guy who gets a regular amount of NHL starts, and most importantly, if you lose your starter for a stretch, it's not your backup who becomes the starter. But it's Seelovs. It's Seelovs. Yeah. I, that's sort of. A, I wonder if there's like a a two B approach. To be or not to be. <laughs> that means absolutely nothing. Should, I just had to say it as soon as you said I, it. It just I, popped in my head. I was like, well, I can't not say it now. Should we? Um, would it be nice to be done with this? Uh, this segment. Yeah, we can finish. Got up a little it. heated. What? I got a little heated, and then I got really positive, and now yeah. I feel great. See, now you're balanced. It's kind of like I went to a Scandinavian spa and did like the hot, cold, like the thermal VIP experience. See, this is why we started ten minutes of positivity for your well-being more than anything else. <laughs> it's not for the listeners. You know what? <laughs> to bring Drance's temperature that, down a little bit. That's realistically why it was like my childhood friend who suggested. Yeah, it. He's yeah, like, yeah. I'm worried about you, man. <laughs> I think this would really help you, and lo and behold, wrong. it did. Uh, we do great. have some other texts that we can read at some point. Actually, one. Uh, that kind of is a good launching point to a conversation we wanted to have anyway. Uh, so we'll get into that on the other side. You can keep sending your text, positive or not, whatever. We're back to anything's on the board now. A uh, final hour of Canucks Talk coming up here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Strands, live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, uh, douglaslakeequipment.com. Something I should have brought up, by the way, for our positivity hour. Yes. Didn't you think it was impressive that JT Miller connected so accurately on punches that he definitely couldn't see himself throwing? Yeah, it was a really good fight performance. But, but like, his his eyes were covered. Yeah, it was really good. <laughs> it was really impressive. I was, like, blown away by that. I, I you know, I, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't want to go another five minutes without mentioning that I was watching that. I was like, hey, that's unbelievable. Uh, before we get back into uh, some more Canucks conversation, can I agree. You, can I you agree land you? these punches blindfolded? <laughs> JT Miller's like challenge accepted. Uh, we this is very exciting. We don't often have tickets to give away on the show, Drancer, but today we have two pairs of tickets to give away to Kisses End of the Road World Tour. Oh, let's coming go. to Rogers Arena on November eighth. Tickets go on sale this Friday, March tenth at ten a.m. at Ticketmaster.ca. But you can win now. We have two pairs to give away. We're giving them to callers five and six right now, 604-280-0650. Again, that's two pairs of tickets to Kiss's End of the Road World Tour at Rogers Arena November 8th. Tickets not yet on sale, so this is a great opportunity. Callers five and six at 604-280-0650. Get the tickets. All right, so. This text came in uh, early in the show, well before we did our 10 minutes of positivity. It's unsigned, but I wanted to read it. They say, uh, for today's 10 minutes of positivity, how much better could the Canucks look simply replacing 3,500 Myers slash OEL slash Stillman slash Shen minutes with Hronick and three Jags? So, of course, three just a guys. And 
Well, their I think defense that, is looking pretty good. That question right now. is pretty appropriate because you look at who they were icing last night and who was playing a lot of minutes. It's Kyle Burrows, it's Christian Milanin, it's Guillaume Brisebois, it's Noah Juleson. The only what you would think of as regulars in the lineup, Quinn Hughes and Tyler Myers. And a lot of those guys acquitting themselves pretty well, I think it's very fair to say. Uh, not just last night, but relatively recently. And it's an interesting conversation. There's like there's so many layers and different perspectives at this. You can definitely do the glass half full, glass half empty thing, right? Like glass half full, these guys are playing really well. Glass half empty, the guys that we have a lot of cap committed to, we don't really miss when they're out of the lineup. That's not ideal. That's always a bad sign. But it is, a, yeah. Yes, it is. But it's an interesting situation, and I think it's kind of an interesting opportunity to kind of evaluate what this team looks like just with different defensemen you know what I mean not even better but just like different defensemen who can do different things back there so we talked about this a little bit toward the end of the Merrick hit in the first segment but like I really think we're going to get to a point where you are better off having 65 percent the player or at least 85 percent the player and cap space as opposed to the player you want so like l l let's take the Leafs for example mm -hmm. are they better off with Morgan Riley at eight right or having let him walk for nothing and just keeping Rasmus Sandin and then having 6.8 to use however I mean in a world where McCabe and Sam Lafferty you're, you're only like one more premium asset away from getting Jacob Chikorin <laughs> like, aren't aren't you better off with the gap space and the flex? Yep. You know, uh, it's basically basically the Belichick thing. Like, let let the market tell you what to do with your players, right? Pay them when the market is, uh, or get them when the market is fading them. Rebuild them, and once they're once the market's willing to pay them, bye. Yeah, and except for Tom Brady, you have to be so. <laughs> and the and the other thing is, you have to be just so careful at who you allocate the cap space to. Yeah, right. Like that's why I have no anxiety or fear whatsoever about the team giving Elias Pettersson whatever his next deal is going to cost. It's going to be massive. And yes, would did you like you obviously would rather have got him on eight years after his ELC, right, and not the bridge. But still, you do eight years, whatever it's going to cost for Elias Pettersson because he's capable of playing like this. But We've yeah, known this for a while, but we also, like, I think it's becoming even more stark. It's that the next tier of players where you have to be so, so careful. Even if they're money. star players. Even if they're star players, right? Like, that Bo Horvat deal, just like that. Do you see the Tomash Hurdle game tire yet last night? Mm -hmm. Unreal. But, like, that contract's a disaster for Tampa Bay. Or, sorry, for San Jose. San Jose. For the other two-name team. Or two-word team. Truly, like, you know, the, the Horvat deal for the Islanders is going to age brutally just like the jt miller deal in vancouver and you know i like all of those players a ton but it's not about that it's just about the risk and the dead space and most importantly the opportunity cost right like in a world where you can lose stillman and shen and not lose them trade them for value yep and because you're replacing them with Willannon and burrows you're better like in that world you have to be extra careful. You you additionally you cannot have thirteen million proportioned to the Ekman Larsons and the Myers of the world. Like you can't. It makes no sense. Like Burroughs is probably at a level where he's a comparable piece to Myers now, today. You, you you just have to be willing to take those risks and have confidence in your ability to replace them. 
And and what's sort of become interesting is the Canucks have done that, right? Like, if you look at the pro scouting of this new regime, right? Because Burroughs, that was before. That was, honestly, I think that was mostly a John Weisbrod acquisition. There you go. Shout out to John Weisbrod. Haven't heard that name in a long time. Does, doesn't get a lot of credit. Does not, you're not going to hear a lot of good jobs <laughs> but, to John Weisbrod here in find, the market. But that was a good find. Um, but Christian Willannon, mm-hmm. right? Neil Zaman, Andre Kuzmenko. I mean, go down the list, right? Like, there's been a Dakota lot of Joshua. Oh, well, Dakota Joshua is the best one. You know, there there've been some misses, and unfortunately, they paid for some of those misses, right? Stillman would be one of them. Lazar would be one of them. But again, those guys are sort of um, like misses and i'm putting it in quotation marks because i swear to you that curtis lazar is going to have a big playoff well, run and also for the lazar is like to me lazar in particular is like a no harm no foul situation well, the, you know what i mean but so is the stillman one except for the fact that you paid a second that, that's a little more complicated but but the fact that you the fact that you can move in and out guys who have a million dollars even if they have term on their deal is instructive like if you're gonna miss 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 small mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right because those those issues quote unquote are are or those mistakes are fixable. Now, again, I'm also putting Lazar in quotation marks because I swear to you, Lazar is going to be super valuable for the Devils in the playoffs. I I, I truly believe that he's going to play with like Bastian and McLeod on a fourth line on a very regular basis. I think he's going to be extra useful for them because he's got two years of term left at $2 million. And he was so good for Boston last year. I know it didn't work out for him here for whatever reason, but I swear to you that's more of an indictment of what he came into than it is of him as a player. This isn't just because I like the guy personally. Like, I, tr- I just believe that you're going to see him play well again. Like, I, I think he's a good player and a good guy. Anyway, if you're going to miss Miss Small, say, well, and sorry, to come back to Pod Colson, here's the other one, right? What gap in value do you think you get next season if you have Pod Colson and Hoaglander, right? Total estimated cost, because Hoaglander will be on his third deal, so it's yeah. not fixed, but let's say, Two and a half mm-hmm. million. What value do you get out of them versus Mikheyev and Beauvillier? Total cost nine million. Are you better off with those with Mikheyev and Beauvillier or with the other two and six and a half million in cap space? Like this should be an easy answer. Like very easy. You have to have the confidence to treat player assets as as effectively fungible from like a big picture standpoint. You have to be able and willing to replace guys and on the blue line in particular what concerns me is that like again this gets back to the conversation we had about Luke Shen where he was the cheapest guy they signed and then worked out not just the best player on the ice but then also the guy you can flip the guy who's not yeah, a salary although they, problem although they end up getting the the same asset for Travis that's Hammond. true that's but fair. that was a surprise that's like an Ottawa Senators asterisk yeah, that beyond belongs next although, to that one although for all that I grind the Ottawa Senators they made the better trade for a defenseman than Vancouver did yeah um, that's true, but <laughs> I'm sorry. Like when I start looking ahead to this summer though, right? Mm. Like, will this lesson be internalized? Cause to me, what we're talking about means don't go sign Vladislav Gavrikov, right? Like that's going to be one of those oh. deals that you're going to end up regretting that you're not going to get full value on. And I, I do wonder, also, I think it though, already like, hasn't been though, Jamie, because they took back Beauvillier and saw him as a positive asset part of that trade, Right. They took on Heronic, right? Like, they're still trying to build the perfect team around the perfect players as opposed to managing their team in a way that's consistent with how the best teams in the league manage theirs. 
Like, I, I would say we've already seen that, that those lessons have fallen on deaf ears. Yeah, the interesting thing is, you know, early in his tenure as president of hockey operations, we talked a lot about Jim Rutherford's approach to building a blue line, right? And that it didn't always have to be star-studded or expensive. You know, like, there were some guys that weren't necessarily high-end players, but that, his favorite word, the structure in the system, turned them into guys. And like, maybe it's, like, naive for me to hope, but, like, hey, if you're seeing Burroughs and Willannon and Juleson doing this, like, okay, hey, well, maybe there's a similar path you can follow here in Vancouver. Well, the lesson of the lesson of Hughes, though, or, sorry, the lesson of Juleson is Hughes can play with literally anybody. Yes. You know, like... Honestly, I would love to see this club target some Cal foot types, you know, some some like big defensive righties who struggle to move the puck and see if you can convince the league that they're Brandon. That Carlo. they're awesome. Well, that they're Brandon Carlo. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, that that to me is something this team should legitimately try and do like twice in the next two years would help a lot you'd create a ton of value yeah i mean that's a huge like all credit to luke shen but that's a huge part of the story is that he was playing with quinn hughes and that's a great position to to look really good in and he still had to do like he still had to do his part but that's a a prime prime position for a defenseman to be in. well i don't think that's i don't think you're taking anything away from um luke shen because you know if you'd told me that travis hamannick would have worked out as well for ottawa as he has the day that trade happened I would have literally laughed. But that's the thing about takes. You don't know if they're good or they're bad when they're first made. Time will tell. We're back <laughs> We're back to take <laughs> philosophy. Well, at least I didn't bring up the king cake. Yeah. Um but uh but and and Chris Tanev too. Like I, you know, I wouldn't say that I was f- like fully like they shouldn't sign Chris Tanev because I thought there was unique leadership value and there was a unique fit between him and Quinn Hughes. Mm. Uh, calibration was the word I used. I thought that pair was perfectly calibrated. But I thought that Chris Tanev would miss Quinn Hughes more than Quinn Hughes would miss Chris Tanev on the ice. And I, I don't think you'd say that's been the case across the three seasons since, right? Like, I think you'd say, in fact, that it's been Hughes who's missed a, def- a defender of Tanev's caliber more. So, you know, it's hard. Like, the... Here's the other thing about defensemen. It's the toughest position to evaluate. It's where, like, the most mistakes get made. You know, Jake McCabe's a perfect example, right? We talked about it the day that trade happened, and I was like, he's just never played for a good team. Like, I don't know. Mm. I don't know. I know the charts love him, but I'm not sure. I, I just think that Leafs blue line's slow once you subtract Lilligren and Sandine from it, and I thought we saw that on Saturday. I mean, in terms of just the inefficiency of defenseman contracts around the league, like, we see it here in Vancouver. Right, oh, like well, the, Vancouver's the, ground zero. But like the value, and just I, I don't even mean just the bad contracts that are handed out, but then like the performance you're getting from cheap guys as well. Like there's so little correlation once you take out Quinn Hughes between like value they're giving to you on the ice and salary. Well, it's like, you know what I mean? It's like zero RB in fantasy. It's like zero D. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and you, you know, you or hero D. You get Quinn Hughes. Quinn and Hughes you go... is your Christian McCaffrey, and then you don't draft <laughs> another one until like round ten. But yeah. but also but also draft a million of them because the best you know what I mean like the best way to get the other guy is the is the next one up yeah and so for me if we're if the Canucks are and we'll see because as you pointed out yesterday I do think it's a fair point it was not a absolutely we are going for the playoffs 100% we're going to continue to pour resources in that goal for next season but obviously there is a desire to take a step forward I just really hope that they kind of look at the defense market and do more of that bargain hunting. Like, do that volume 
bargain hunting because we're seeing that it can at least get it can get you to a higher level than what we were seeing from the Canucks earlier in the season. And to me, that's the way you try to thread this very, very fine needle of we want to take a step better. We want to take a step forward and be better next year without sacrificing too much for the future is go bargain hunting, right? Find those guys that the league has missed on for whatever reason. The league doesn't have a good handle on and see if you can get more out of them here rather than, oh, hey, Gavrikov is going to be a hot hot ticket on July 1st, right? Graves is going to be a hot ticket on July 1st. To me, those are where you're going to make the mistakes when you're building out this blue line. So you are 100% 150 percent correct the problem is you want to bargain hunt with the luxury to not do it right what you want is the luxury to get whatever you want to be able to buy whatever you want but still have the discipline to be bargain hunting right the canucks are going to have to be bargain hunting because they put themselves there well that's the issue i mean in a way i almost hope that they're locked into bargain hunting right because if they're not they are. If they're not, it means they've done the OEL buyout and potentially moved some assets to get off some other really hard contracts, right? But e- I mean, even if you even if you do all that, you're still going to be at a point where you know, like, I mean, let, let's say let's say you move an asset to get off Besser mm-hmm. and you buy out OEL. Okay, mm-hmm. so now we're looking at you know 13, and then and then Pullman goes on LTI, so you're looking at 15 million, and Bear costs three million of that, so now it's 12 million. And your only defenders signed are, you know, you still have three defensemen to sign and a backup goalie with 13 mil. Yeah. Now there could be Pearson on LTI as well. Right. Like, so there are, I, I hear what you're saying. I think. But you still like, need it a third. You still it wouldn't need a third, shock me at all. You still need all. a center. Yep. And two defensemen. No, I get it. Look, it's, but it wouldn't and shock me at all if they use some of that cap stays a big chunk on like a Gavrikov type. That tier of free agent, right? Yeah. And then you go bargain hunting for the rest. Sure. That wouldn't shock me at all. I would rather it just be strict bargain hunting. You know what I mean? But I think they'll be 100%. able to carve out the cap space to at least do one of those. I don't want to say big ticket because it's not like this a uh, an all star you're 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 buying in Gavrikov or anything like that where you're really breaking. No, the but bank, he's going to be expensive. A significant ticket in free he agency. He can move. Like at the end of the day, he's a defensive minded defenseman who might not be the most physical defensive defender out there but he can move he can skate and he can eat minutes and that's going to get him paid and that's going to get him paid a lot yeah uh by the way just you mentioned ethan bear i noticed uh, his agent jason davidson on donnie and dolly earlier today on check tv with a bit of an update uh first of all on his health uh but also negotiations contract negotiations said they hadn't really spoke since the all-star break uh, and I believe his words were, when you disagree, sometimes you just shut things down for a little bit, which makes sense. And then said, it looks like it's going to be either a one or a three-year deal uh, and that his client would have no problems with a one-year deal. So interesting update there from uh, Jason it, Davidson. I've been wondering, even in light of the Hronik, if there's if it's a certainty that he's back at this point in yeah. light of the Hronik acquisition. Well, he he's a complicated one to do because he's got arbitration rights and he's played a big role for this team. Like he's been in top four minutes since the moment he was acquired. And there's a lot of stats that really uh, build a robust arbitration case for him. He's got arbitration rights just as Hronik will have a year, right? Like a year from now, we'll be having the same conversation with Hronik or about Hronik. Um, So, you know, this is the, this is part of the issue, right? Like defensemen who are 25 get pricey immediately. You don't get the long runway of like cost controlled upside, right? And like the team says, the team said on Friday when Patrick Alvin met with the media, 
that um excuse me that Ethan Bear was sorry not that Ethan Bear that Philip Ronick was um cost controlled for 2 years he's not he's cost controlled for next season and then he's under team control for the year beyond that but he's got arbitration rights he's got what 70 points 75 points the last 2 years something like that yeah another, another season of that and you're looking at a f- yeah he's he's on 38 for in each of the last two years right now yeah and so this year too y- you know you'd say it's a 50 point pace mm-hmm. well if you have a 40 point season again next year you're looking at a 5.5 six plus million dollar valuation for your last RFA season and then you get to the UFA years and then you get to the Morgan Riley comps and then you get to a point where he's a really expensive piece and that's not even mentioning the pressure I'm sure. That's on the organization now to double down, to double down on the player they've signed and lock him up right away, a la the New York Islanders and Bo Horvat. This, by the way, is another thing that I, that I do think the club has to be really conscious of. You got to see it next year, right? With Ronick. Well, not with Ronick, with the team. Because mm. it's not about Ronick. It's about the team, right? Like, don't you have to let this core group prove that they can win together before sinking more money into it, more cap commitments into it. This team's hard enough to disassemble. Don't you have to wait? I would think so. And I will say with Heronic specifically, I mean, obviously look, let's say you do an extension this year and then next season looks something similar to this season. Right. And it's, you know, December and you're, you're nowhere near, the playoffs that's a really really tough pill to swallow I will also say with Ronick you know we talk so often about the Canucks buying high and selling low on their own players right like kind of getting convinced when there's a hot streak and then giving that player too much money or whatever the case is Ronick does so much of his offensive production on the power play and he's not going to get those premium opportunities we all know that we know how much Quinn Hughes dominates the Canucks power play usage as a defenseman so if you don't do the extension this summer you're at least going into a season where Hronik is probably not going to match his previous point production, right? Now, mm. how much of a discount does that give you? I don't know, but it doesn't help his case. And so that, to me, is another reason why, like, give him a chance to not be on the power play a little bit before you give him a big term, a big long-time, uh, long-term extension, right? Rather than do it this summer when he's going to still be com- coming off two seasons where, you know, he's been a key power play guy for Detroit. So I think there are a lot of reasons to have a little bit of patience and wait on Heronic uh, extension. Although, as you said, look, just like the Islanders and Horvat, when you're an agent and you see that a team gives up that kind of draft capital and that kind of value to get your player, like, you know, they're thinking long-term. You, you, why not? Why not try to push it and, and see if something can get done now? But I don't think it's what the team should be doing. I agree. Like, wait, wait and see if it works before you commit that type of money uh, to another player long-term. You have to. This this team hasn't even made it out of a month, the first month of any of the last three seasons with a realistic playoff shot. Like, I'm not even opposed to doing it early in the season next year, but just see it. Just see it. You know, this team is either massively right about this gamble that they're taking on structure, on this core, on winning now, or they're not. And if you're not, at least don't put yourself in a position where it's going to be the sort of mistake that lingers on for years and years. Like, you know, what happened because of the summer of 2021 or the fall of 2020 or the summer of 2016. 
the summer of 2021 and the fall of 2020. That's too close to be both be. But they are to both be well, signposts so, like can, that. Can we can we do the like ah? Uh, did we do the t- summer of 2016 recently? I, we did recently. Uh, and I somebody, I was like, oh my goodness, That's so good. Oh, just body blow after body blow. I know, truly That's tough. tough stuff. Uh, we don't need to get into it again. No, that we, was, we once once in recent let, memories enough. Let's be real. We should never get into it. We should ever never, again. ever, ever talk let's, about let's it Let's pretend it didn't happen. Just like selective amnesia eliminating a seven-month stretch that in some ways we're still living in. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Final <laughs> segment of the show coming up. Uh, we'll take some of your text. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. It is Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650, final segment of the show, live from the Kintech studio. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, it was, uh, we, were, we were talking in the last segment about kind of the the bargain bin defenseman that the Canucks have on the roster right now and how there has not really been a drop-off. In fact, maybe you could say an improvement uh, from what their decor looked like earlier in the season and just some of the lessons around team building from that. And uh, uh, Stefan on Twitter tweeted at me, in the we're a playoff team stakes, is the money for Garland and Besser simply too efficient, even if they are good, or is there a route for them to be key cogs in a playoff team and it's an interesting question because the thing is outside of maybe OEL right whose game deteriorated deteriorated so significantly this year and whose contract is so prohibitive do you have any OEL bounce back hope not really and I feel bad saying that just because of the age yeah the age and just how it's looked this year you know what I mean like I think there's sometimes where you can tell with a player, but especially a defenseman of a certain age in the NHL where you have to have a baseline level of athleticism and speed and skating, but also just kind of jam to your game. And if it's not there, like, it's really hard to see it coming back. The The thing that worries me is, like, Ekman Larson at his best is such an assertive two-way player. Like, I'm thinking Ekman Larson in his mid 20s mm-hmm. right such an assertive two-way player that you know he looked like the smartest guy on the ice at all moments because the way he was reading the game he was like i can strip you and i can make that pass and i can beat you with my feet and i can and it feels like now he has to play at a more limited level which makes him look like he doesn't have the same two-way iq but i think he does he just is considering his own limitations and that actually makes him the sort of player who makes the types of plays and mistakes that create an environment for everybody yeah. where you're more likely to lose the next battle and surrender the next. Goal. And I will say to put, to, to play devil's advocate to my own argument a little bit here, if you are going to make the case for an OEL bounce back, it would be, it takes time to adjust to when your physical capabilities are changing. Right. Mm-hmm. And that he does have great hockey IQ. He certainly did uh, throughout his career. Yeah, he does. Flat so out. maybe with that, time he's able to adjust and change his game and not not get back to near that level but at least find a way to be a helpful player 
uh, in your lineup. I'm not necessarily buying it, but I think that's what the argument would be. We all forget how much Edler's game changed as his foot speed diminished, right? And what were the keys for Edler? Okay, this was a guy who, at his peak, like when he was an all-star, and he was an all-star, he was like a heavily mobile offensive defenseman whose turnovers and puck management, right? Like his hockey IQ was questioned. Mm. And as his foot speed diminished, what did he become? He became the meanest guy on the ice. Like, you know, you remember that doughty hit in the King series? And everyone was like, why don't we see that more often? And then toward the end, no one wanted to go near Edler. Not, not that NHL players are ever intimidated sure. in the way that people like to think they are. Right? Like people talk about hockey. Like these guys are all so tough that the toughness quotient of the toughest guy in the NHL is far less of a deterrent than you'd think mm-hmm. because all of these guys are incredibly tough. But, you know, Edler was the meanest guy at the net front. Like he was constantly cross-checking and battling and just like he became this heavy mean reliable never made a mistake defensive player who needed the right right right-handed partner to to help him in terms of like defending the neutral zone and and some of the things that sort of abandoned him that's why Stetcher was such a good fit with him that's why you know the Kings have been such a good fit for him they have lots of those guys so you know there's a chance that 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 Oliver Ekman Larson can take the same path but man it's it's going to require a lot of work and it's going to require the right form of insulation. Well, and who knows? I mean, like just hearing you talk about defending the neutral zone, that's one of the things that Philip Ronick does really well with his mobility, right? But again, I don't know how you can it's such ask tasking Philip Ronick with that in his first full season with the new team is just such a big ask well, I, I for a player. I don't know how you can do that. I think you're going to be tasking him with carrying a top 4 pair almost regardless. You are, but there's like there's different there's a sp- still a spectrum of difficulty on that, right? Yeah. Depending on who your partner is, and maybe there is a world where Oliver Ekman Larson bounces back, but I don't know if you can bet on that if your goal is to make the playoffs next year. I, I just think, given where it was this year, that's a really really tough bet uh, to make. But to the to the point of the um, the uh, the tr- the Twitter question from Stefan, right, about guys like Garland and Besser, is that money too inefficient, or could it be a part? Could they still be part of a playoff team? And again, with the exception of OEL, I think the the thing with the Canucks is it's not that there's that any of the individual contracts like are so bad in and of themselves that they render a team incapable of competing for the playoffs. There are playoffs teams that have inefficient money on their books. It's just that. It's death by a thousand cuts to a certain extent, right? Mm. Like there's so many individual inefficient contracts that you add it all up and it's really hard to build a a playoff team around them. But certainly, I mean, Besser is an an interesting case because his point production has been so solid at five on five this year, but it just doesn't match. Like I agree with the kind of eye test. He's invisible out there a lot of the time uh, analysis of Brock Besser. Well, but he still keeps producing. His defensive form has not been good. So I don't know entirely what to make of Brock Besser's season, but like Connor Garland, can Connor Garland on his contract be a, a key contributor on a playoff team? A hundred percent, he can. I, I think he's hundred percent. I think he's been playing really well. I think he's been one of the like clear standouts under Rick Tockett. I agree. His points per sixty is back up over like two, uh, which is you know usually it's like two and a half or above in his career, but it was way down earlier this year. It's it's getting back to its normal levels. Like he's looked legitimately good under Tockett. I think he just is flat out good. Connor Garland just is flat out good. Brock Besser, I think, 
is also useful. I think he's had a, a really down season that leads me to be a little more concerned than I have been traditionally. Yeah. And Besser to me feels like more of an obvious change of scenery candidate. Yeah, Whereas agreed. like I'm pretty down on it. I'm pretty down on the bounce back happening here. I'm not down on it happening somewhere else in at, a better position. At some point you just need to move money off the wings. Yeah. Like you just need especially because you have guys who I believe can contribute for a million dollars or less in Hoaglander and Pod Colson. You know, like the fact that we haven't seen Hoaglander now past the deadline, right? We used to talk about the deadline, yep. like maybe that's I was expecting it. Um the fact that we haven't seen him, I think is really troubling. I think it's really troubling, particularly because honestly, this team's this team's best version of a top nine that we've seen all season consists of a third line of Dries, Hoaglander, and Garland. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's true. And this team's best conception of a top six consists of I mean, you'd put Mikheyev, but let's let's say Beauvillier in his stead, with Kuzmenko and Patterson, Miller, Garland, uh, Miller, Besser, Hoaglander. Mm -hmm. Like that's that's been their best version of a top six all year. It, it's wild to me that he can't get in the lineup, but I, I guess they have some things they want him to keep working on, and presumably want him to be part of the uh, Calder Cup playoffs. And you know, we'll see what that means in the off season. But there's a reason that his name keeps coming up. Right, it's because everyone around the league sees this Looks usage too, yeah. and are are pretty intrigued to see what a high motor, you know, battle winning young forward who's produced at a very auspicious clip as a nineteen and twenty year old in the NHL um, might be capable of with a fresh shot. Fresh yeah, start. and the thing with Hoaglander, so it's not just obviously that they have so much money committed on the wings. Like, there's just a lot of bodies. There's a lot of guys who figure into the wing discussion for next year until they get off at least one and probably more. Than one of them, right? But you just you go down the list, and it's Besser, Garland, Bovillier, Kuzmenko, Podkolzin, Kratsov. Now, like Joshua, you got to figure that they want to feature in some sort of role what, next what, year. What There's a lot of, of competition. What have you thought Mikheyev. of Kratsov? What have I? Kratsov. There's been flashes. Yeah, and I like that's the that, right way to put it. Uh, you know, but I think that's probably what a lot of people in New York would tell you as well, right? Yeah. That there were flashes and. I like the, the kind of the skill levels apparent. The skill levels apparent, and I will say, I think there you've seen the what you see all flashes of more of in the skill level is like the aggressiveness and the and the physical tools too. I think right, like I think you see flashes of those. I like the pairing with facility pod goals, and I think there's like an interesting kind of niche you can have both guys in right now. But I wouldn't say it's you know a home run or anything at this point. But you see the flashes for sure. Yeah, I. I I'm I'm not ready to write home about it one way or the other, right? Yeah, exactly. I think I think the one thing I'd sort of disagree with you is I feel like for all that I've heard about his size, you know, like I don't know that he plays like he's six foot three. No, but that's what I mean. There's flashes of it. I know. Like, is it consistent? No. Yeah. But like you can see the flashes and you can see like, oh, okay, that's interesting. If you ever do see that uh on a more consistent basis but again you just add him to the list of wingers like he's gonna figure he's gonna have a role you would think in some in, in a pretty significant way he's, next year he's worth a shot right and this is this is again i think sort of fuels our conversation from the third segment which is you know what was the acquisition cost of kratzoff so why are you paying basically nothing all of these wingers this amount if you think that this guy could be something even in your top nine next season just just why do you look up a baby cake at any point? I looked up king cake. King cake. That's what right, it is, sorry. right? By the yeah. way, somebody uh, DM'd me on Twitter. Hold on. To say that it's I gotta a thing? I got to pull this up. Well, it's not even that I didn't 
necessarily believe it was a thing. It's just like I'd never heard of it. Mm. Uh, but uh, a Swede, that's his name, a Swede on Twitter, uh, said, I finished the last of a king cake last week at my work. I didn't get the baby this year. But I didn't know it's like a thing to see who gets the baby. Yeah, yeah, it's a thing. And you get money. You get money if you get the baby. You get money if you get the baby. Is yeah. this something you're doing a lot? No, this is I'm I've got I've got Louisiana family. Okay. Yeah. Well, see there. Then don't act so surprised that we don't all know it. Everyone You have it. the personal connection to it. Well, no, but it's like uh it's like a Cajun thing and Cajuns are basically Canadians. Sure. What? I know the Acadian connection, I understand, but that's one part of part of Canada. It's a long way from here. I know, but the culture permeates, you know? Okay, sure. Um, 650-650 is the uh, Dunbar Lumber text message so, inbox. But do you, do you remember there was a minor league baseball team called the All right. called the Baby Cakes in Louisiana, and they had a mascot that was the terrifying baby? I, I also don't this- Well, I remember the terrifying baby mascot. Okay, there point. you go. That, yeah, 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 Did yeah, you yeah. think that was just like- I don't know. I thought it was just th- weird, like minor league stuff. Okay, you didn't- You know what I mean? That. They're yeah. always doing weird stuff like that in the minors. That's <laughs> Right? Am no, I, I wrong? I mean, a little bit. The Savannah Bananas stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel you. Yeah, exactly. Um, People texting in the thing about, uh, can they call up Hoaglander for more than two games and still send him to Abby for the playoffs? Yes. It was just where they wouldn't be able to send him down before the playoffs, correct? Mm. Or is that, we wouldn't even be able to go down for the playoffs? I don't think so. Oh, okay. Well, that's a big part of it. Because waivers, waivers are always in existence. Okay. So I, I do think that's a big part of it, that they want him to be there. For the playoffs. Yeah, so maybe you'd need right? a rush of injuries so you could bring him up on emergency, on emergency conditions. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So I do think that's part of the story uh, as well. But again, as you said, there's a reason why... Uh, it's still odd. There's a reason why teams are looking at Niels Hoaglander with uh, with great it's, interest. It's, it's odd and it's complicated, particularly given that he's in a contract year. Right? Like, players don't like this, typically. What does that contract look like? Right now, do you think it's going to be a one-year show? Yeah, deal, one year. But like, given that he's been the American League, like there's no benefit to him in selling a bunch of years. I had someone on uh, I had someone on Twitter uh, suggest to me that they should sign Pod Colson once he's extension eligible this summer for six years at three million. Mm-hmm. And you know, I loved that. <laughs> I was like, yes. <laughs> but you know, that's that's the sort of long view deal. Also, that the that you can't make really when you're all in on. Or not that they're all in explicitly, but when when you've built yourself to make the playoffs next year and you have cap issues, you can't commit to play, paying a guy like Pod Colson more up front when you're going to need that cap space to flesh out your team. But I love that type of bet on a player like Pod Colson because, like, I watch this guy and I'm feel pretty confident that he's a a third liner. Yeah, and if that's he's, like the absolute floor right now, floor bets, right? And and if he's a third liner with like a heavy profile, right? Then 3 million is market value. And if he turns into Russian Zach Hyman, then I'm laughing. Yeah. Right? That, that I mean I'd love to see this club approach at least one of Hoaglander or Pod Colson in that sort of way, particularly given that they haven't blown up yet. But to take that kind of swing, first you need to clear money off the wings. Uh JJ from Fiji just get back into the blue line conversation. A little bit. JJ from Fiji, of all places, Texan. Shouldn't Myers be the third pair D-man next year behind uh, Hronik and Bear? Ride out that contract. Maybe Myers can be more serviceable playing 15 minutes a night instead of 20. I'd hate to see another draft pick uh, attached to him for one year of cap relief. That's from JJ from 
Fiji. That is an interesting point about, like, typically when you reduce a player's load and you reduce a player's responsibility, you can expect an increase in efficiency, right? You can expect an increase in their their rate of performance in those minutes. But this is also just a team that's going to be so desperate to clear cap space, and I don't know if they have the patience required to just let Myers tick off for the remaining, you know, for this last year of his deal. Like, I agree. I think there's a, there's some wisdom there. Even if you are trying to make the playoffs, you put him at the bottom of your roster in a very prescribed role, and you, you hope that you get a little bit of a boost in performance. But I don't know. Like, I, again, it just comes down to how much pressure there is to make the playoffs the, next year. And I feel like they're going to have to – they're going to think – that they need to get a, a more performance than Myers is going to offer them in the lineup. I just think after the way that the season has gone, I think it's going to be hard to get off of that money even once the bonus has been paid. Uh, I believe that the bonus is paid late into the offseason, which adds a, a complication. Um, I think the teams that are going to want or, or have any interest in trading for him are likely to be those teams that are going to be like uh, trying to hit the cap floor. Yeah. And so, um, the, you know, I just think that's going to be a more complicated deal than we realize and might be might be one. Like, I wouldn't just, like, brush my hands off and assume that that one's easy once the bonus is paid, which I, I, I see on Twitter a lot is, like, a common assumption. I wouldn't make it. Well, the timing of the bonus is fascinating. Well, and, and you know what? Sorry, one more on this. One more, like. The J- the JT Miller has value because teams are calling on him. Thing. Mm-hmm. Teams see a team pressed up against the cap with win now competitive pressure on them. They're keeping tabs. You know, like there's a difference. Uh, I mean, there's a world where Miller gets traded for for value. I just don't think we live in it. I, I think that deal is going to be a really tough one to swallow if it does in fact get done by the draft, which, you know, it probably won't. We'll probably be just doing JT nope. Miller conversations we'll just, at the we'll, deadline next year and the year after and the year after and the year after and for six more years after that. In perpetuity. Um, especially because, I mean, Patrick Alvin himself said, like, one team called it, but they weren't serious, which to me would be some sort of, you know, like, hey, like, will you pay us to take him? Or Correct. will you give him to, to us for free, right? So, well, and, yeah, and, teams might call on that type of deal. And don't, don't rule out the possibility that the Canucks reach that conclusion themselves, right? I mean... It just is what it is. Yeah, it's uh, not not ideal. Not an ideal um, uh, place to be in for the Vancouver Canucks and JT Miller. Uh, this text comes in. The only way to salvage OEL could be if his foot injury really was the culprit for such a bad offseason. Uh, and then maybe he will be able to bounce back next season. There's always the, But the thing is, with a player of his age, right, you're always going to be worried about that physical decline. And, oh, yeah, I, I wanted to say this about Myers. Sorry. The, the timing of the bonus is really fascinating to me because if it is, as you suggest, potentially late in the offseason, then, okay, maybe you are able to trade him like to a team that needs to hit the cap floor or anything like that once the bonus is paid. But it's also coming at a point in the calendar where it's hard for you to turn around and improve your team with that money. So it makes it more more difficult even from the Canucks perspective right because if it was you're paying the bonus on July 1st and you're confident you can move them after the bonus well then you can still be active in free agency you can still do a lot of things to improve your team for that year but if you're waiting till you know September middle of September something like that to pay the bonus and then you can get them off your books 
it's really hard to make significant moves to improve your team at that point. So, like, I wonder if that does push them to the, you know what, let's wait. Maybe at the deadline the situation looks differently because it's not as if you're going to clear $6 million off your books on July 1st and go out and immediately go shopping, right? It's a completely different discussion, completely different discussion to move them off your books in September versus July. In- unless you pay the premium to get someone else to pay the bonus. That's a big premium. That's a big premium. Very likely, unless you take a contract back, right? I mean, there's all sorts of ways that this could go. Yeah, but then it's like you're not even clearing the space. You know what I mean? If you take a contract back or you're clearing so little of the space, I don't know. It's a a tricky situation with that bonus. It's a tricky situation the Canucks are in, right? And they've made it trickier, right? Like their moves have fundamentally made it trickier, um, and they're not willing to use time as their ally. I mean, that's... That sort of makes everything crunchier. That's why we see these prices. Like, that's why we see the Lafferty-McCabe price. That's why we see cap teams do business a certain way, right? You need to win now. There's a price to doing so. And it's, like, not a price that this team is positioned to pay responsibly. Mm-hmm. You know? So we're, it's going to be really fascinating. Like, the one thing I will say is, Positivity, two minutes. It's back. Yeah. Da-da-da, 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 the encore performance. I don't know why my, I used the Wayne, Wayne's <laughs> you, World you dream. dream sequence. Yeah, as opposed to the like glowing, ethereal, calming. Ooh, ethereal. Yeah. Good one. Music. Yeah. yeah. Nailed it. Thesaurus guy. The one thing that's good is when a team is actually going to be trying to solve problems and make the playoffs, it makes the offseason a lot more fun. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Like, like, we're going to have up a lot of possibilities. We're going to have a killer time in May. Especially once the season's, like, done and there's no, like, why are they playing? They're top guys. Like, it's the playoffs. Chatter to have. Um, a couple of questions coming in. Yeah, no, they they have to be aggressive solving problems. Yeah. They have to be. Which is which is going to make for fun. At the draft and throughout the course of the offseason. Oh, yeah. Right? It's not going to really die down because you're going to have, like, maybe guys filing for arbitration, maybe late, late in the offseason trades. Like... They have to use every tool and every lever they have at their disposal agents, to agents, do something. Agents going on Donnie and Dolly and saying, we haven't spoken for a while because it didn't go well. Like, let's go. This is going to be fun. What? It is great. <laughs> you love to hear from agents. <laughs> Absolutely love uh, to hear from agents. Uh, a couple people texting in along these lines. Uh, Chet and Burnaby says, what's the cap ramifications of shoving OEL in Abbotsford versus buying him out? Can't do it, NMC. You can't do it because he has the full no move clause. So it's either the NHL, it's a buyout. I mean, I don't know, like LTIR, does that become a discussion at some point? Who knows? I don't want to go down that road because we really don't know uh, what – uh, we don't know what his health situation is right now. And Patty in Vancouver says, do you think rather than buy out for OUL, could you retain uh, and pay that for four years? Do you think it help, when NMC. healthy a team would see the value of OEL at $5 million per? NMC, no. That's the thing. It's, it's too complicated. One, I think it's a really tough sell, even if you're retaining like three, four million, or you can't retain $4 million on it. You can retain half of your portion, which would be about three point five. That's really tough. And then it's a no it's a no move clause. So what are you gonna do? You're you're in an absolutely brutal bind. An absolutely brutal bind. Uh and yeah, oh Abbotsford not an option. A a trade at fifty percent retained, probably not an option either. There are only so many options when it comes well, to OEL. And and of course you could just be on the team next year. Yep. And you could just be playing. Yeah. 
could just That's, be second uh, pair with Philip Ronick. I'm starting to kind of reassess that as a possibility, right? I was at, right after the Ronick deal, I was like, oh, they're definitely going to buy out OEL. Feels hopeful to me. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money to ne- pay ne- for that buyout. Never assume. Never assume, particularly not when it comes to the Vancouver Canucks. <laughs> All right, we're going to be back. It's a game day tomorrow. We'll be broadcasting live from the rink. What a matchup with the Anaheim Ducks coming up tomorrow. We will be all over that one. You know I'm so excited. Oh, obviously you are. Of course you are. You love your Ducks. The trademark, deeply unserious Anaheim Ducks. (laughs) That does it for us today. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650.